Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we celebrate uh, freedom as we approach uh, July 4th. That's uh, the, the freedom holiday on our calendar, the one when we highlight that most particularly. And we are not uh, unaware as Americans that we reside in a country that has freedoms on a level that, uh, that many people simply don't experience. And so uh, we, we, want to, uh, we want to be conscious of that. We want to embrace those things. And we want to use them in the way that God has called us to use them. And that's kind of what I want to focus on this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The title of my message is Freedom in Christ. And it's what God has called us to and what God has called us to embrace. Because God has called us to literally new life in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says there, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's a verse that many of us are familiar with, have heard many times. The Greek word that Paul uses here to make reference to new creation is one that is used elsewhere to refer to all of the things that God created, to God's creation. In other words, when Paul says that a person is a new creation, he doesn't mean that they have simply changed. That's it's a hard thing to just change. I mean, we, we know that. Old habits die hard. Once we've given ourselves over to a pattern of behavior, bringing change to those patterns of behavior can be extremely difficult. Change itself is, is difficult, but change can be made. I have seen some people who have changed. Perhaps as they've grown older, they've become more polite or they've become more tolerant. Perhaps they've softened their tone of voice. They've learned to speak more softly or they've learned to speak more loudly or clearly in the expression of themselves. As children grow into adolescence and then adulthood, we see changes that take place in the behavior of our children. Hopefully, we see changes that take place in the behavior of teenagers. And, and I've seen children removed from situations, from loveless, abusive settings, placed in loving homes that allowed a young person to, to just blossom and, and, and change. But ultimately, these things I'm talking about are only change. Sometimes they're significant change for the better, but still just change. And that's not what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here he refers to someone who is in Christ Jesus. He says of them, you are a new creation. They haven't just changed. They haven't just improved slightly or improved significantly. They're not just better. They're different. They are a brand new creation. They are something that they were not before. There is character where there was not before. There's capacity within the individual that was not there before. For those with no relationship with Christ, those who are not in Christ, even their most charitable acts, even the, the best thing that they might possibly do is typically going to be motivated out of some desire to be liked, some desire to be pleasing, some desire to be admired, even when people change and they do good things, if it's just change apart from Christ, typically there's going to be a 
self-centered component to it. The end of Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sold a, a piece of property. We've studied this before. You, you no doubt are familiar with it. He sold a piece of land that he owned, and he gave the money to the church. He gave it to the apostles, and he said, here, use this to meet the needs of those within the church that are, that are lacking, that have need. Take this provision that God has given me and use it to meet the needs of others. Barnabas had no obligation to sell the land or to give the money. He chose obviously under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and I say he had no obligation. Sometimes if you belong to Christ and the Holy Spirit is moving in your life to do something, you may feel like the Holy Spirit's got an arm bar on you and you're compelled, and you don't have much choice. But the truth of the matter is, is that we do have choice. When the Holy Spirit moves and compels us to do something, sometimes we say no. We've all done that. I did it for years before I came to Christ, and as a follower of Christ, I've done it in the ensuing years. Christ has come and said, I want you to eliminate that behavior from your life, or I want you to embrace a behavior in your life. There's a, a task I want you to undertake, or a way that I want you to spend your money. And there have been moments when I've said, no, I, I don't want to do that. Now, if you belong to the Holy Spirit, typically the Holy Spirit will, will dig in and begin that compulsion will grow until eventually you give in. But there are moments in which we choose to say no. I want to suggest that Barnabas was not under obligation to sell the land except that obligation that was brought about by the presence of the Holy Spirit within his life. He did it under the leading of the Holy Spirit. I would suggest that he, he probably... Uh, engaged in that action because he was a new creature and had he not been a new creation in Christ Jesus with a new nature he probably would not have done that because in Acts chapter 5 immediately following that you have the example of two individuals Ananias and Sapphira who sold property as well but apparently motivated differently and, and I would suggest here that they perceived that the church held Barnabas in high regard because of the giving, the charitable giving in, in which he gave. And, and they wanted the church to feel that way towards them. They wanted to be well thought of by the church. But when they brought the money that they gave to the church after they sold their piece of property, when they brought the money from the sale of that property, they didn't bring it all. They brought a portion of it. They represented it as the full sale price of the property they said here's the money from the sale of our property we did even as Barnabas did because we want to be a part of the church and we want to meet people's needs as well but they didn't bring all of the money they held some of that money back for themselves not revealing that to anyone and once again they were not under obligation to give the land they didn't do what they did under some kind of duress, they chose to do what they did, including misrepresenting their gift as being the full sale price. Barnabas was a new creation. Barnabas gave what was his, or what was more accurately God's, that God had given him stewardship of, wanting nothing more than to help. Ananias and Sapphira apparently were not yet created new. They had themselves in mind. They had their social standing 
in mind when they gave. They desired to be well thought of when they gave. And so this is the difference between new creation and old creation. God's call is to a new life, a different life. He doesn't want to just change us. That's not enough. He wants to create us new. And when this happens, we are in Christ. Paul says in Christ, in verse 17, old things have passed. Look, new things have come. The old things have passed away. And the Greek word translated old things here is archaios. It's the word, the Greek from which we get our English word archaic. Eight-track tapes and VCR players are archaic. No one uses them anymore. We have better ways to store data. We stream music and we stream videos. These are old things. They're not relevant to the way that we live life anymore. Paul says of the old things in our lives, they've passed away, a reference to a time gone by. The the archaic thing is of the past. As I said, it no longer has relevance. It no longer applies. And so the same thing applies to us in our worldview. The way we view the world, the way we viewed the world in the past is not relevant anymore. Those things upon which we placed importance in the past, that which motivated us in the past, these things which held great meaning for us In the past, they belong to a different age. They are archaic now. Many of these things are things that ultimately held us in bondage. They're things that impeded our freedom. Addictions, drugs, alcohol, video games, pornography, hours spent endlessly, compulsively glued to a video screen, looking at a Facebook page for fear of avoiding missing the latest happening or spending to excess out of sheer boredom, subconsciously thinking that the next purchase is the one that's going to put you over the top. If I can just get that last chair in the living room, if I can just get those curtains up in the bedroom, if I can just complete the ensemble of clothes, whatever it is that you spend on, if I could just get that last thing, I'll finally feel fulfilled. Or bondage to illicit relationships because love at home has grown cold, living a lie, keeping secrets, hiding the truth. These are the things of the past. As a new creation, God has set us free from the bondage of the past. We have a new view of the world. We see things with brand new eyes. We see differently than we did in the past. We understand clearly that God has right to our lives. We understand that we can find the greatest fulfillment and freedom and a life in pursuit of the purpose for which God made us, we understand our deep need for redemption, and we're grateful beyond words for a Lord and a Savior who died for us. You see, the world has a different definition of bondage and and freedom. The world's definition of freedom is being able to do whatever you want to do, regardless of how self-destructive Or how destructive to those around you, your actions may be in bondage is simply being refused the opportunity to do what you want to do. And we see that all around us in society today. People laying claim to freedom that just is is wrecking relationship all about them. Leaving families 
shipwreck because they want to embrace a freedom to do what they want to do, ultimately that is simply bondage to the ideas of this age in the world in which we live. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold to my teachings, then you're really my disciple. And then, holding to my teachings, being my disciple, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And those that were listening to him, they answered him. These are religious leaders, the elders amongst him. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone, which was always astonishing to me in light of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. A little revisionist history, perhaps, but we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, then you're free indeed. Slavery to sin is bondage, and our compulsion to do that which we know is self-destructive. It's not good for us. It's not good for those around us. It's not good for anybody. That, my friends, is bondage. And true freedom changes not just the way that we view the activities of life, but it changes the way that we view others. We see other people differently. Those with whom we are close, we want to honor, we want to serve, we want to sacrifice for them. And even those we've never met before, though, that, that story of the Good Samaritan, where the, the individual interrupted his schedule and spent his resources and spent his time and spent all that God had given him in an effort to minister to an individual he'd never seen before. Even those we've never met before, whom we would have walked by without a second glance, those who in the past had no importance to us at all because we are new creations in Christ Jesus, of a sudden they become important to us. And at that point, God's given a specific task. Before I move on, I just as, as I was thinking that through this morning, I, I know we see people standing on the side of the road all the time with uh, signs that say, we'll work for food, and they don't really want to work, and they don't really want food. And um, there are a number of ministries that, that minister to people like that. And so I don't want to implant... Uh, any guilt upon you, any need to roll down your window and start throwing dollars at individuals like that. Read the book, When Her Helping Hurts. Anybody that ministers to those individuals will tell you there's a way to help them and there's a way not to help them. And the way not to help them is, is by giving them money that they're going to go out and they're going to spend on drugs or alcohol and just be to have it. But there are other people, and for me, after years of going out to Zephyr Hills Correctional Institute, three times a year with the choir and being a part of what we did out there, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit moved on my heart and gave me eyes to see guys that I needed more contact with, that I needed to establish relationship with, guys that I would have walked by, and let's be honest with each other, when it comes to walking by a prison with razor wire and the guys that are locked up knowing they've committed some of them horrible crimes, it's easy to walk by those individuals. But God said, no, no. 
you know, I was, I was incarcerated, and you came and you visited me when you've done it to one of the least of these. And so, God, if you are a new creation in Christ, man, your worldview as it applies to other individuals is going to change. There are going to be people that you walked by in the past without giving a second thought to their need that the Spirit of God is going to move on your heart and say, you know what, I want you to spend yourself on those individuals. And it's not going to be the same for all of us. It, it will be for some of us. We will. We'll share in ministry together. But, but it's, good. it's going to be different for a, a lot of us and a lot of people that God wants to reach. Anyway, at that point, God's given us a specific task in not walking by these people. In verse 18 in chapter 5, he says, Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says this new creation that we experience is from God. It is a result of his work in reconciling us to himself through Christ, and then he's, he's, he's passing it on to us. Before God created us anew, we were enemies of God. We had no interest in this at all because we chose the world over him. And, and the reconciliation of our own lives had to take place before we could take up the ministry of reconciliation. But God entrusts to us his message of freedom. In verse 19, he says this, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. God's charged us. Those who are his new creation with the task of seeing to it that others know that even though they have offended Almighty God, even though they've lived as enemies of God, as we once lived as enemies of God, that even though they've, they've done the same thing, that they can be reconciled as well. Because of Jesus, their sins can be forgiven just as ours have been. This is the original charge to the disciples. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Jesus told his disciples, I'm giving you the ministry that's brought you into relationship with Christ. He, he told them in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That which they gave witness to was that reconciliation was now available to everyone. It, it's not God's desire that men live separated from him. That's a choice that we make, but that's not God's desire. The good news that we have to share is that Jesus can save us from that separation. Even when we've chosen the separation, even when we've cast the die, Jesus came to overcome the separation, and he appoints us as his messengers, as his representatives, that others might know that freedom. In verse 20, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, certain, confident, that God is making his appeal through us. An ambassador is an official envoy, a, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government, sent as a resident representative of that government, into a foreign setting. That's what we are. We're foreigners. We're aliens in this land in which we live. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, but God has tasked us 
as his messengers, as his ambassadors, as his delegates in this world to represent him, officially appointed by him to represent him and speak for him in this world in which we live. As new creations with a new view of God and a new view of the world, we recognize how critically important the task at hand truly is. So we accept our appointment as ambassadors. Do we not? Everybody ready to accept your appointment as an ambassador? <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this this way. I mean, there's a lot of people that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And they're just hanging out until Jesus comes back, or until they die and go to heaven. And, and then they've missed out on what it is exactly that Christ has called us to. He's called us to make disciples. You know, he's called us to be his witnesses. He's called us to undertake this ministry of reconciliation. He's designated us. He's appointed us as his ambassadors. This is why we live and breathe. This is why time still goes on today because Christ still wants to reach people with the good news that the separation that they established when they rejected God can be overcome by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They can be reconciled to God. And we are his ambassadors. We make his appeal or he makes his appeal through us. God instructs us to state his case in verses 20 and 21. We plead. This is what we're tasked with. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The case needs to be stated clearly. God loves us. He wants relationship with us. You know the gospel message, John 3, 16. God loves the world, but we've got a problem. We've rejected God. We've all sinned, and we all continue to struggle with sin as that desire to, to have rule of our own lives creeps in as the spirit wars against the flesh. God provided a solution in Christ Jesus. He made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We must humble ourselves before God, the God of all creation who loved us so much that he sent his son to pay a price we could never pay. John 1.12 says to all who received him, to those who believe upon his name, he gives the right to become children of God. This is why we go where we go. That's why we do what we do. As I was writing this message, I was thinking about that, that great group of folks that we had up here last week, just returned from Kentucky, from Appalachia up there, having gone up there eight years in a row, having established relationship with individual. And, and, and once again, that's, that's key in this ministry of reconciliation. You, you can't you can't just shout it at folks. There's relationship. You've got to build relationship. You've got to have a foundation of credibility. I think I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about a young man that I saw out at the corner of 41 and 54 and had a shirt on with repent on the back is what I could see and a Bible in his hand and shouting at the 6 o'clock traffic as it's going up and down the street. And everybody's got their windows rolled up and their air conditioning on and 
Once again, I don't want to throw rocks. Maybe there was somebody that read whatever was on the front of his shirt and repent on the back, and God was working, and they went home and got on their knees by their sofa and prayed to receive Christ, and their life was changed that day because that young man was out there at the corner of 54 and 41. But I just, when I saw him, I thought to myself, that's not a good approach to, to address this ministry of reconciliation, trying to bring people into, into reconciliation with God, to just shout at them, repent or you're going to hell when they've all got their windows up and they can't hear you to begin with. We've got to build relationships with people in order to have credibility to share these things with them. So we've gone to Kentucky for eight years in a row. We've been going to Haiti for year after year after year, building up pastors down there. The places that we go, we go to establish relationship. The, the homeless feeding takes place in the same spot on an ongoing basis. We go to the same prison facility to interact with guys in order to build relationships of credibility so that we can expand the kingdom by the message of, of reconciliation. My challenge to you this morning is, is, is in light of July 4th and all the freedoms that God has given us, that you'd be a part, that you would not think that these things of which I speak this business of advancing the kingdom, of being a, a mouthpiece for the gospel, and not just a mouthpiece, but using hands and, and backs and legs and, and using all the resources that God gives us to, to enhance, to advance this message of reconciliation, that you would not think that this is for someone else. This is not for me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit indwells you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's within you, and you are a new creation. If you're not a new creation, then you don't belong to Christ. It's, it's that simple. If it's just change that's taken place in your life, and I know people who have changed. In fact, when I first met Debbie, or when, when we had been dating for a couple of years, Debbie told me that she wouldn't marry someone that wasn't a Christian, that wasn't a believer, and I wanted her to marry me, and so I changed, and I started going to church with her. I had, I had grown up in the church to the age of 10, 11, 12 years old, and so I knew a little about the scripture. I knew John 3, 16. I was fairly familiar with the gospel message. I knew how to pray. I was not intimidated to say a prayer out loud in front of someone. And so, I, man, I knew the buzzwords. I knew how to act in that setting. And so I changed. And I started going to church with her. I changed so much. I went to church with her every Sunday. I changed so much that I convinced her to marry me. She married me, only to find out nothing had happened except a little change had taken place. And when she married me, I changed back. It wasn't a new creation. It was just change. Brought me into church on a regular basis. Even motivated me to give a little money from time to time. Be in a Bible study and do the things that people do when they're in church. I changed. And I started coming to church. But I was not a new creation. And when push came to shove and that desire to live my life and rule my own life really set in good. I just reverted back to who I was. I had Debbie. She's married to me now. There's nothing she can do about it, you know. And so I just became the person that I was before we got married and went back to all of my old habits. 
And it was seven years before I became a new creation. So don't, don't, don't think this is for somebody else. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if that's what you lay claim to, then you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And along with that new creativeness, that new creatureliness about you, should come a whole new view of, of the resources that God has given you and how they're to be spent, a whole new view of other people and how you're to interact with them and how you're to love them, a whole new understanding that God didn't just save us from hell. God gave us the message, the good news message, and passed on to us the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus himself undertook whenever he came and died on the cross on our behalf. That's our ministry now, that we would see others reconciled to Jesus Christ. That's our ministry as the body of Christ. Let me ask all of you to stand. Once again, I, I just would impress upon you that you can't be a part of that ministry without being a new creation. You've got to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You've got to make that determination. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a part of what God made me to be. I want to fulfill the purpose for which God made me. And God didn't make you to live in 21st century America and just suck up all the freedom and abundance and everything that we have in this country. That's not what he made us for. He made us to reflect him. He made us to be the light shining in the darkness. We are here with point and purpose. And it is that the world might know that there is a God and there is a Savior and there is reconciliation with God to be had. That's why we're here. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing right here at the front. We have people that will, will pray with you, that will take up the conversation if you want to undertake it. If you're ready to be a follower of Christ, we would love to walk with you. And, and if you're a Christian and the, the Spirit's been warring against the flesh and you've been missing out on the embrace of the ministry of reconciliation, the well-being of your soul has been interrupted. This would be a great time this morning to get that right with God. Let it be well with your soul. Be who God made you to be. You respond to it.